0: Well, um, I want to start with an analogy this morning, and it's, it's not original to me. It's, I don't know exactly where it came from, so I just wanted to say it up front. This is not my analogy, but it suits the purpose of what we're going to talk about this morning, and the analogy is, is that of, 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 of dancing. Now, I've been to enough weddings and celebrations and seen enough episodes of Dancing with the Stars to know the difference between good dancing, real dancing, and not-so-real dancing, um, I, I'm a product of, I should say, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, um, a recovering legalist um, from my background, so I was never allowed to dance. So naturally, when I go to, uh, um, go to a wedding, uh, I kind of have this freeform thing, which, you know, you just kind of move with the rhythm of the music. And most of the time, it just moves me ugly, you know, but you do it anyway. Uh, free form freestyle kind of loosey goosey kind of of a, a, a dance you know I know <laughs> you 're thinking don 't even start don 't even <laughs> i won 't i won 't um, but that 's that's, that's, you know one, one style it 's just kind of a free form and it, it, like i said it 's just it 's not a lot of attractive or beautiful in my opinion, um, which is why i 'd never want to see myself in a videotape dancing. But as I said, I've, I've seen enough episodes of Dancing with the Stars, and, and I have had a, a couple dance lessons in my life. My wife and I had one, and it was, it was awesome, but we didn't have time to continue the dance lessons, right, where you actually learn a form, you know? There's actually f- forms to dancing, right? Do you guys know this? There's a foxtrot and a waltz, and even disco has a form, right, um, where you learn the steps, and, and at first it's hard because you're, you're focused on the steps and trying to you know, get it right, uh, but then after a while, after you get the steps down, pretty soon you stop thinking about it and you're actually able to enjoy the dance with your, with your partner, right? And that's, that's, it, it's, 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 it's actually quite, quite beautiful. And after you learn the form, well, then you can add your own little artistic or stylistic flair to it without necessarily changing the form, right? So you have this kind of formal dancing it has form to it, and then you have freestyle, Two different types of dancing. Now, we're not here to talk about dancing, per se. We're here to talk about worship. What is it that the church is supposed to do when it gathers? Um, The author, by the name of Cosper, likes to talk about worshipers scattered and worshipers gathered. You know, when you're out at work, you're a worshiper scattered. When we come in here, we are worshipers gathered. And what is it we're supposed to be doing? Uh, Is there a form to it? Or is it just Freestyle. Now, in my opinion, based upon the churches that I've attended or visited, uh, most of um, American evangelical Christianity, I think, tends to be a bit more on the freeform side. Or maybe this is a negative way of putting it, but but a little bit loosey-goosey, as in, you know, kind of anything can happen in a worship service, Um, which explains a lot of the crazy stuff sometimes that happens. And I'm not going to go into what the crazy stuff is, but it's just kind of freeform right? And I think some of that um, might be an allergic reaction to Catholicism, where everything is super rigid, stand up, sit down, say the same words, and recite the Nicene Creed and the Apostles Creed, and it's also very formalistic and rigid, and and it's like, I don't want that, and so you launch over into the other side, which is just kind of this free-form thing. Or maybe, and I think this is probably more uh, the majority, is that maybe it's this this cultural pressure to be innovative, um, to to spice things up, to, you know, um, mix it up a little bit or a lot. And I, and I suspect a lot of it is driven by a desire to entertain as we live in a consumer-driven culture of let's give the people what they want. Let's, let's make the church like Burger King where you can have it your way. And that explains some of the like loosiness of it, right? Um, but the question for us this morning is as we gather together for worship, what is it we're supposed to be doing? Uh, is there a form to it? Is, or is it just anything goes? What are we supposed to be doing as Christians when we gather together to worship in the church on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night or whenever the worship service is? That's the question. And we're going to answer that this morning with a single verse taken from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Now, what's listed in this verse is not a, an exhaustive list of things that the church are supposed to do, but it is a summary A rather potent, perhaps the clearest summary of what the early church did like right out of the gate while the apostles were still alive. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the book of Acts, basically it's just the earliest history after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended on high to rule and reign at the right hand of his father. So it, it's the earliest recorded history that traces the progress of the gospel from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. That's, that's the book of Acts. So when we, we uh, look at chapter 2, we're talking about really, really, really early church rhythm or form, what, what they did. And this is, this is what they did. These are the communal rhythms that they practice. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. This was the like the earliest practice of the community of faith. This is what they did, these four things. They devoted themselves constantly to doing these, these four things. And I, I want to... Uh, focus on each of these four things, and then kind of conclude with a, a how and why. Um, these four things are the, are the dance steps of the church when they gather, when worshipers gather. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. At the head of the list, first and foremost, is they committed themselves uh, continually to the apostles' teaching. Now, it would have been really great to live in that time because you actually got to hear the apostles speak, right? Like the apostles were people who witnessed they saw firsthand with their eyes Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. So, th- so they were eyewitnesses. Um, but they were also, and the word apostle means, an authoritative messenger of Jesus that would go out and spread the message. So they, they had authority as apostles to declare the gospel, to declare um, what God had done in his saving activity in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't have the apostles here anymore, right? I mean, they're dead. They're alive, but, but, but they're not here physically. Um, they will be someday. But um, at this point, we don't have apostles. So how is it that we can devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching? And the simple answer is that um, we have the apostles' teaching in what we call here the New Testament, like the New Testament documents. These are the apostolic, fancy word for apostle, apostolic teaching in the New Testament. This is what the church is supposed to be devoting itself to is the apostolic teaching. Right? To the word, to the gospel, to, to these authorized messengers, what they wrote. Um, and there's two, two just distinctives about their teaching that I just want to clarify. One is that it centered itself on, on the life, death, resurrection of Jesus as the saving work, the exclusive saving work of God through all of history. Like it focused on Christ. That, that should be self-evident like they spend time not only um, uh, relaying to us the, the, the facts of his life, what he did, the history, that's the first first four gospels, um, or expanding upon, um, explaining or applying that truth or protecting that truth in the life of the church through the letters like Romans and First and Second Corinthians and so forth. That's, that's the apostolic teaching, and it focuses our attention on both the fact of, the truth of, and an explanation application of the work of Christ. That's It's, in a word, Christ-centered. That's, that's a mark of the apostolic teaching. It's going to focus our attentions on, on Jesus. Second distinctive is that if you read through the New Testament documents, you realize they are saturated with the Old Testament documents. Old Testament, over and over and over again. Like they taught the gospel through the Old Testament. Um, that Jesus was... The fulfillment of everything anticipated in the Old Testament, that, that Moses pointed towards him, the temple pointed towards him, the priesthood pointed towards him, the sacrifices in the temple pointed towards the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. The prophets prophesied about him, and the promises were fulfilled in him. So really, the apostles understood that the Old Testament, too, was focused on Jesus, as the entirety of the Bible focuses our attention on the grand subject of God's salvation in Jesus Christ. Christ-centered the whole Bible. So when they gathered together, they didn't just get a history lesson of what happened when Moses crossed with the people of Israel the Red Sea. They would hear a message about the Red Sea related to Jesus, right? It was they, they approached the whole thing as Christian Christ-centered scripture. That's, in a word, what's distinctive about apostolic teaching is it has Christ at the center of it. Um, and that's what we're supposed, supposed to be gathering to do. And the first thing in the list, we are supposed to hear. A word or words, sentences, paragraphs, verbal declaration of what God has done in Christ and how it applies to our life in the 21st century. That's, that's apostolic teaching. Or let me, let me put it in the negative. Sometimes negatives help. The early church wouldn't have gathered around uh, Tony Robbins in an effort to find out how to be more successful in this life. Uh, if you're a fan of Tony Robbins, that, that's fine. But, or self-help, or, or the, the six, six steps to, to a Zen experience, just they, they, they wouldn't have done that. They wouldn't have read through the book, you know, but seven habits of highly successful people. Not to say that the book is entirely bad, but here's the deal. is all of that kind of teaching appeals to our own sense of self-empowerment. Like, if I have the right information, I can do it. That is, it appeals to, I think what the Bible calls, an inner sense of pride. You know, unbelievers can change. They can. I bet each of you knows at least one alcoholic who doesn't believe in Jesus who's changed. They're still on the wagon. I know some. Unbelievers can change. But I would argue, I'd say the Bible would argue, that that change is fundamentally pride-driven. Either a desire to avoid shame, fear of death, or a desire to to be seen by people, to be seen as successful, whatever it is, that that change is essentially pride-driven, which means that, that the whole change of an unbeliever is, is built on a faulty, fallen foundation. Um, that's, that's change apart from Christ. Well, the, the, the apostolic teaching comes at it completely opposite. It comes to us and says, listen, listen, you are are dead in your trespasses and sins. You are enslaved to your desires. You actually don't have freedom to choose outside of these sinful desires. Um, You you can accomplish nothing apart from Christ. The the core, all the way down deep, is fundamentally flawed by your pride. You can't do anything to please God. That's that's rather humbling. That doesn't appeal to a sense of self-empowerment. It actually just wipes you out. To so then give you the positive message, but God being rich in mercy because He loved you so much. He took upon Himself your sin to take it away. He lived the perfect life for you and gave you righteousness. And then He gave you His Holy Spirit to begin that process of decentering yourself on yourself. And as you abide and continue in a, 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 a dependent, unified relationship with Jesus, you are going to bear fruit that comes from a very different place, not the pride-driven heart, but a Christ-driven humility. That's, that's what apostolic teaching does, what it's supposed to do, uh, is, is is give us strength and power from a very different place that doesn't come from, from us. That's the importance of it. So we gather, that's one of the, the main rhythms of the early church, one of the main rhythms, one of the most important formal things we do as a a group of worshipers, we gather to hear Christ preached from both testaments in a way that applies to life. How do we do that? What does it look like? Well, this is part of it, what we're doing right now. For 2,000 years, people have been teaching and preaching. Another part of what that looks like is the public reading of Scripture, right, that's what Paul instructed Timothy to do. When he said, "You know, you're let's see the verse here," he says, "This pastor, he's instructing this pastor to do certain things in, in the church at Ephesus." Um, he says, "Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Scripture's supposed to be read as we gather. That's part of the apostolic teaching." Um, if you were, you know, we have scripture read at the beginning in the form of a call to worship, in the middle, which you just heard Rufus do, and at the end, in the form of a benediction, the scripture is read. Scripture, or should I say apostolic teaching, the word, the gospel, is also present, it's supposed to be present in our singing. I, there are some people who come from the outside who have told me, in a kind of a form of complaint, because I, I think they just don't understand. It's like, yeah, the message was fine, but... But why do we have to sing so much? Right? Just don't like the singing. And I realize that singing doesn't connect with everybody because some of you aren't accustomed to singing. But Paul tells us, right, as part of the ministry of the word, again, this is where we participate as a body in declaring together in song. And you ever notice we watch a movie without music? It's horrible, right? It's like, man, there's no feeling. But all of a sudden, the music in the background is there, and it's like, well, this beautiful, and it's motivating. Well, there's supposed to be music in worship. There's supposed to be the un- union of mind and heart, and that's one of the things music does. And Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That is part of the, 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 the word, the apostolic teaching, is in, is, is in what we sing, if the songs are good. There's songs that don't have teaching in them, but there are songs that do. And part of this, we're rehearsing. We're saying aloud to each other and to the Lord. This is what we believe. So that's, that's some of what it looks like. And that's why we sing, right? That's why we sing, is to declare. And you know what? I don't think the Lord cares if you can't sing a tune. He doesn't, you know? Some people he gifted with good pipes and others not so good pipes. and That's okay. We sing together because of what God has done. And we declare to God and to each other what he's done in song. So, there you go. That's, that's the first part. And it's the longest part because, in my opinion, it's at the top of the list and one of the most essential parts. They also committed themselves. Oh, by the way, did you notice it says the teaching? The uh, apostles' teaching singular. It's not their teachings. But it's their teaching. They weren't each teaching different things. They were all testifying to the same cohesive, consistent thing. The teaching is one. Second thing is they were committed to the fellowship, right? The fellowship. Um, That is, they knew that they had been born again by the Spirit of God. They knew that they were gathering in the name of Jesus, and they committed themselves to showing up. Now, I realize in, in preaching this part, it could be very self serving for me. Well, you've got to show up to church, right? But it's not for my sake or the church's sake. It's for your sake and for your brother and sister's sake that we show up. They were committed to the fellowship, which means you show up. They were devoted to it. It wasn't, you know, attendance at, 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 at the gathering of worship was not, nonch- it wasn't approached in a nonchalant manner. It's like they were dead serious about it. We are gathering together as a body of Christ to worship God, right? Which means you show up, but it's deeper than just showing up. Uh, it, it, it means that we understand that we are—we've been called out by by God. We've been born again. We gather in the name of Jesus to worship Jesus. But you'll notice in the context, the verses that follow, like their fellowship was 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 uh, was was selfless. It was they were investing in each other. Right, right? People are selling possessions and sharing with each other. People that had need—that it was—they were genuinely interested in serving each other as a service-oriented kind of. Gathering, Like, we're here for each other. Uh, Which, again, we we live in a culture which is consumeristic, which is, you know, what can you do for me? Um, Which, when you bring that attitude into the church, it's contrary to, you know, really what Christ did for us is he came to serve us. I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. And and one of the marks of of Christianity, when it's alive and vibrant, is that we come not to be served, but to serve each other. Um, And that's exactly what they did. Um, to come with the intention of somehow I, I need to invest. Maybe it's just a simple con- con- uh, conversation. Maybe it's just a word of encouragement that I've been thinking about. Or maybe it's just offering to pray for somebody. I mean, there's a thousand different ways of what it could look like. But to be committed to one another that 's the fellowship committed to the body, committed to your family that 's something that they were they were dedicated to is investing in each other and that 's something we 're supposed to supposed to be passionate about i 've had you know conversations with young men um, who don 't want to attend a church gathering they just don 't want to go to church, and some of it 's just kind of an anti institutional spirit, you know distrusting of institutions and I understand it some institutions are are, are broken and self-centered and self-serving, but that doesn't mean all of them are. But they want to, these young men that I, 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 I talk to, they want to change. They see their life going in the wrong direction, and they, they want to change, and they believe Christ is a part of that, but they don't want to put themselves in a place of change. Like being a part of a, a church community, the, the worshipers gathered, is putting yourself in the place amongst the people of change. And it uh, doesn't guarantee anything, but if you put yourself and you believe and trust in the Lord that put yourself in the place of change, put yourself amongst the people of change, where the Spirit of God lives, then you know what? I believe the Lord's going to move in your heart and move in your life. Maybe not instantaneous. It may not be fireworks and frills and, you know, electricity at first, but, you know, and maybe it will never be, but that's really not what it's about. It's just to know that when you put yourself in the fellowship and you're committed to it, God forms us. In fellowship, He transforms us in fellowship in a way he doesn't do in isolation. <laughs> so they committed themselves to the fellowship. What does that look like? Well, obviously showing up is part of it. I think it also means, and here I'm going to tread very lightly. It, it means maybe showing up on time. <laughs> and I don't say that with any, any, any judgment in my heart, man. I grew up in a family... It was habitually late. Like when, they, when people saw us, the Deckards coming to church, they were like, oh, they're on Deckard time. We're late now. That's, that was, you know, so no judgment here. It's just how can you connect with people if there's no time before and after to linger and just, just connect? That's just an encouragement. Again, if you come in late next week, don't go, oh, gosh, they're dead. Talked about being on time. But it's just part of the commitment to the fellowship. So do with that what you will. Um, it means, I think, you know, the church in, in that time, they had the big gathering, which was in the temple, and then they broke bread in each other's houses, which means there were smaller gatherings. I, I think a healthy thing is to be a part of a smaller group, whether it's a, a, um, an official small group, or whether or not you have a group of friends that are Christians that you You know, you intentionally talk about Christ and minister to each other. That that you have to be part of a of of a of a smaller collection of Christian people. Um, Again, whether that's the official or unofficial, the fact is we need people around us who know us well enough that can call us out that we can be transparent with without being feared, having the fear of being judged. I think that's some of what it looks like. So there were this is this is the dance steps of the church, right? Apostolic teaching. The fellowship, the breaking of bread. You'll notice that it's the breaking of bread. It's not just breaking bread. Just breaking bread would be having a potluck or, you know, having people over your home. And potlucks are great. I'm not, there's a place for having people over your home to to have dinner, you know, or having a potluck at church. My favorite thing was watching the guy with a Kentucky fried bucket of chicken put it out, you know, in the fellowship hall of my church. I'm going, finally, someone brought something that I like. And I'd always be empty by the time I got there. But that's not what he's talking about. I'm talking fried chicken or a potluck. He's talking about the breaking of bread. He's talking about the Lord's Supper. Of gathering together and breaking the bread, taking the wine, symbols of the death of Jesus, which has freed us from our sin. Um, A constant reminder in physical, tangible, uh, symbolic form of what Christ has done for us. That's to be practiced in the church now there 's question and controversy over how often some churches do it once a quarter, some do it once a month, which is our practice, some churches once a week. i 'm um, just going to leave that one there, but the fact and the important part is we practice it, we come together and we remember if it weren 't for this and what it symbolizes, what it reminds us of the death of Jesus on our behalf. We would have no hope, and we'd still stand under the condemnation of God's wrath. That's why we do it over and over and over again. And then finally, the fourth thing. They were committed to the prayers. That is, you know, they prayed. Sometimes it was a representative prayer, which is like when Brian prayed up here. He prayed as a representative of us. Jesus did this a lot in his life. Um, Sometimes... Uh, The church prayed in in groups, small groups. Um, Seems to be the sense of Acts chapter 13, uh, one through three. Um, The the bottom line is they prayed. The church prayed, you know, prayers of adoration and confession and thanksgiving and supplication, all of which are in the New Testament. They prayed, um, which was the practice of the church. And I I know some people aren't really comfortable praying out loud or praying in a group uh, because you haven't done it a lot. Um, and we've we from time to time pray in groups, and sometimes it's representative prayer. I I just want to encourage you that you know this is what the church does. This is what the church does. It 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 calls, it calls out to the Lord and saying, Lord, we need help. Lord, we need you to change us. Lord, teach us your ways. Lord, unite my heart in the fear of your 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 ways. Uh, just, we pray um, because we are completely and utterly dependent on the grace of Christ every minute, every hour, every day, every week, every month. And prayer is the voice of faith calling out to God. So that's, that's what the church did, right? That's, it's not rocket science. It's, it's, it's rather straightforward. It, it, it's not fancy. There's no sparklers. <laughs> no jumbotrons. I'm not saying any of that stuff is bad. But these are the essential dance steps of the early church, of what they were doing. Then they devoted themselves to it. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and praying. And that's what we're supposed to be doing as a church. And that's what we gather to do. And you'll notice, again, just to uh, uh, emphasize the how, like they devoted themselves to it continually continually they devoted. And notice it's a they. It's not just a group of elders. It's not just a group of leadership. It's they. The church, each person that was a part of this family devoted themselves to these things. And that's the only way a church can be healthy, is if every individual who who is Christian, who's committed to a church family, is like, we are devoted to these things. That would be the encouragement of this text to you. Are, Are you devoted, not just to one of these things, but to all of these things. That's how they practiced it. But let me just end with the why. Like why? What would be the motivation as to that would help me with this? Two things. And I mentioned this last week, but I think it needs further elaboration or just re-emphasis. Is we 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 do these things. We come together. We 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 do the I hate to say dance steps, but You know, teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayers. We do these things not because we're strong. We do these things because we're weak. We need the apostles' teaching because, you know, the world is filling us with lies, you know, the rest of the week. And we need to hear the truth, darn it. So we come because we need to hear a truth that speaks and appeals to a different part of me which is the new creation and the new heart within. I need to be fed. You need to be fed. You come together as a group for fellowship. Why? Because you can't exist by yourself. You are a communal, dependent being. You need each other, whether you know it or not. Uh, The Lord's Supper, which, you know, humbles us and tells us, but for the grace of God, you would all be dead in your trespasses and sins. We come to it in a way that, that recognizes, I need this. I need to be reminded I'm so weak. And we pray not out of a sense of strength. We pray out of a sense of desperation. Like that that song, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. So we gather together because we're desperately in need. That's a humbling place to be. uh, But that's exactly where the Lord wants us. To know, I actually, I'm not just saying this, I need you. And you need each other. And to know and believe that. Um, But the other why, not just because we're weak, is because you notice, like, Jesus is the center of all four of these things. He's obviously the center of the apostolic teaching. Like, we come to see him lifted up and to to see him exalted, to see his work uh, re-proclaimed to us. We don't gather to see a fancy singer or to see a, a celebrity pastor preacher we we come because in in the in the teaching we want to see Christ lifted up at the center of the fellowship you know Christ the spirit of jesus inhabits god's people which means when we gather we 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 enter into the presence of christ with and in the presence of each other and that's part of how the gifts work right different people bringing who god has created them to be bring the presence of christ to bear upon each other so it's part of our hunger is to know Christ more, and we find Christ in each other. Um, he's obviously the center of the breaking of bread, to be reminded once again of what he did for us, what he sacrificed. And all of the prayers of the, of, of, of the, of the people of God in the book of Acts were all prayed in the name of Jesus. And it's, at the end of the day, it's Christ at the center of all four of these, to, to experience him, to know him, to grow in faith and, and love for him, and to know the love that He has for us, which uh, preceded our love for Him, and to find our hearts strengthened in Christ as a result of all four of these things. Christ is present in all four of these things. So I, I you know, again, this is kind of New Year's series. Um, we should have a desire in our heart to see this church family. Uh, grow strong in the grace of the Lord. And that requires us, in faith, to come and to practice something that's very old. It's not new, it's very old, and that is these four things. So I I encourage you, not by way of a judgmental spirit, but I encourage you to carefully consider what you're gonna devote yourself to this year, Um, and highly encourage you to devote yourself to these things. As followers of Christ, all right? Lord, you are um, good for giving us this, and I thank you for uh, loving us in our in our in our flaws, in our <laughs> laziness, and loving us in our <laughs> lack of punctuality and um, sometimes uh, just a unwilling spirit. And I, I pray that uh, you would just um, give grace and strength to us as a church body, and I'm sure that. Each person here is stronger in one area than another area, but I pray that you would just grow us um, grow us in the in the grace and the knowledge of Christ and in a, the what it means to love each other what it means to uh, to serve each other um, what it means to be worshipers gathered so uh, Lord we love you and I pray that you would empower us as we as we uh, go out this week to be worshipers scat- scattered around um, where we 're at to bring honor and glory to your name I pray this in his name. Amen.